You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome. If you would um, open your Bibles to the book of Philippians, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. And we are getting very close to um, concluding our journey through Philippians. We've spent the last few months uh, in this book together, and we're going to be looking at uh, verses 8 and 9 of Philippians chapter 4 together. And so... Philippians 4, starting with verse 8, Paul says, finally, brethren. And so he's, as, as we do, he's getting close to the end, but he keeps almost getting to the end. Like, hey, I have one more point, and after that, one more point, and then I have another point. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. I wanna read a portion of that back to you. He says, finally, brethren, And then look at the end of verse 8. Meditate on these things. And then he says, the things you learned and received and heard in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So um, what Paul is using here is he's he's using what we call imperative verbs. Now, um, verbs, when you're reading, uh, verbs denote action. And um, when, you're, when you're reading um, and, and you're reading about what someone else is doing, so the author might be explaining his own experience. He might be talking about the things that he has done, and you're basically a spectator in that. And so Paul's saying, I did this, and I did this, or, or he's narrating. And in that case, he's telling us what someone else did. He says, well, you know, Timothy, he did this, and then, and then Epaphroditus, he did this, and so he, he's describing, and you're a spectator, you're watching these things unfold, and it's, it's, it's enjoyable, right? Oh, that's so amazing, Paul. It's somewhat inspiring when Paul talks about how all those things that were gained to me, I, I counted all those things as though they were of no value whatsoever just so that I could lay hold of Jesus, just so that I could have, I finally realized that I could have a righteousness that wasn't the, this shamble of a righteousness that I could acquire by my own actions, but a righteousness that would be granted to me freely when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And you're reading, you're going, oh, it's so inspiring. What a beautiful thing. And then read, oh, and then Epaphrodites. 
And he traveled from, from the church in Philippi all the way to Paul, and he brought this gift with him so Paul could be sustained and have his needs met while he was incarcerated there in Rome. And, and Epaphrodites, he, he got sick and sick almost to the point of death, and the, and the Philippian church was so sad because this man that they had sent and that they loved so much, and they were thinking, this might be it for him. He might not make it, but Paul says, he's doing great now. And the reason you know he's doing great is because he showed back up with the letter in his hand, right? <laughs> he walked in the doors. Hey, not only am I okay, but here's what Paul wrote to you. And, and so these, the, there's action happening, but we're spectating, right? You're watching it. There's no threat to you. And then what happens is there's a mood change, like the, the, the room darkens and the music, background music changes. There's a mood change. And, in, and what happens is the verbs now become imperative. And in what we're reading and these verbs, what they do is suddenly they put a pressure on you as the reader. Suddenly you were, when you were really comfortable reading about Paul's story and hearing Paul narrate other people's stories, but now suddenly there's all this pressure on you because th these verses, they're directed at you, the reader. We're not talking here in this passage about somebody else meditating, are we? This isn't, this isn't like the first Psalm where, where the implication is the psalmist is meditating. This, this is pressures on you. Suddenly it's like the, you're, you're asking something of me. The, the, the next verse where he says, do it. <laughs> like, there's suddenly a pressure that's placed upon you. So the, an, an imperative is, is a verb that puts pressure upon the reader. The, the idea is that the author thinks something is very important. We might even say vital for the person that's reading this. This is an essential thing for you. Now, because the, the, because the Bible is filled with the, we, we, we say, it's, the, it's filled with the moral principle or the ethic of God. It's, it's telling humanity um, who God is and how humanity is to behave. The imperative here is more than just something that the author thinks is important for you, right? It, it, you're reading something and suddenly the author says, it would be a good idea for you to stop right now and have a healthy snack. I mean, just, you know, why don't you stop what you're doing and have a healthy snack? You know, an apple a day will keep the doctor away. And, and so there's this idea where, oh, suddenly there's pressure on me. And it's like, I don't like apples. And, and, but there's a pressure placed on me. But because this is the word of God, what's actually being pressed upon us is, is more than just uh, and it, something that the author thinks is important. He's pushing upon us something that is vitally important for our development as certainly as followers of Jesus Christ, but we'd go beyond that just as human beings. These are vitally important things for you and I if we're going to, if we're going to grow in our relationship with Jesus and become the people that God intends for us to become. We are to meditate, and then there's something that we need to do. Um, the, uh, the, the, the imperatives here, the first one has to do with the mind. 
The word meditate is a think word. Um, it's a word that is often translated in your Bible to, to uh, count something or take account of something or to reckon or consider something. So it's a, it's a thinking word. And so what Paul's doing is he's saying in our, in our experience, in our relationship with the Lord, there is a, a, there's a necessity that has to do with the way that we think, the things that we focus our attention upon. Um, the, the word that's used here, again, this word is a word that means to account or consider. The word that's chosen in the English here is the word meditate. The English word meditate carries a modern idea that is, the, that is not the biblical idea. The modern idea of, of meditation of kind of just getting quiet, just kind of getting that, getting, you know, getting peace of mind, kind of finding yourself quieting down and cooling down and just getting everything out. That, that would not be the concept. The concept biblically would be the idea of filling your mind, but filling it with the appropriate things. And so the word here, meditate, is chosen because that's exactly what he's saying. Pure things and true things and praiseworthy things and just things. The, the idea is the mind should be filled with that which God values highly because the things that God has us think about are gonna, are gonna affect the way we view ourselves and the way we're able to then make our way through life. So it's a, it's a thinking word. Now, the, the way we think will affect the way that we behave. I want you to think with me of, of David. And we know, you know, David's, we, we might, you know, David's, um, maybe his most well-known uh, is for his walking into the valley of Elah and facing the giant. Right? And he goes into this valley and it's a very vivid picture. Um, this, this man, this giant of a man who is trained in warfare his entire life and this teenager that first tried to put on the armor of the king of Israel, but it was like, you know, the, the diminutive seventh grader trying to put on his dad's clothes. And I use that as an example because I tried that. Um, one year for Halloween, um, we, I was in seventh grade and, and kind of thought, oh, we're too old for trick-or-treating. And then at the end of the day, at the end of the school day, my friends and I looked at each other and it was like, you know, it's free candy, right? So we went home and, and you know, no idea of a costume. So, so I, I went to my dad and I said, hey, dad, uh, it's Halloween tonight. I want to be a hobo. Can I wear your clothes? <laughs> so that's what I thought about my dad's fashion um, statements. But uh, so I, you know, I put his jacket on his waist. I was a very small seventh grader. Um, and I put my dad's jacket on, you know, it's down to here on me and I've got his shoes on and I look like Bozo the Clown, and so, sorry, Dad, but, um, but you know, you get the idea. Like, so David is trying that, that doesn't fit, so he walks out into the field dressed as a shepherd going against the soldier. You know the story. And then, then Goliath, with, with such disdain, not only for David, but for all of Israel's army and for the, and for the God of Israel, just mocking him. And David says, you come against me with sword and spear, right? And he says, I come against you in the name of God. And he basically says, and your head is mine. 
right? He's, so David has, a, uh, David has a proper view of God, and because he has a proper view of God, he's able to face what's in front of him, this massive challenge that's in front of him. And he walks out into that, into that field and he's able to defeat the giant because he's, he's thinking properly. He's, he's reckoned the situation in light of who God is and in light of who he is in light of who God is. Does that make sense? So he's looking at the situation. Now, I'm relatively certain that in the week ahead of you, you're not going to have to walk out into the, you know, the, 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 the street that you live on and face a nine foot tall giant clad in armor holding a spear that's as heavy as a weaver's beam. That's likely not your, your week that's in front of you, but you've got things in front of you that may seem as overwhelming as that. The challenge that's in front of you. How do we navigate? How do we walk through that? Well, we need to think properly. And what is the proper way to think? The proper way to think is to see God as he is and to see ourselves in light of who God is. Who am I in light of who God is? David's story continues. In fact, um, David is one of the, um, the most well-known characters biblically. There's, there's, more, there's more ink given to tell David's story than most other characters in the Bible. And so we, we actually get to see David face other issues in life, and we get to determine whether or not he's viewing God properly and viewing himself in light of who God is properly. Things change for David rapidly. He, he, you know, he has, takes like the fast lane to success. He finds himself the worship leader in the palace. He finds himself as, uh, as the leader of, of uh, Saul's armies. He's the most effective soldier uh, in the army. He's, he's just, he's seen as this upcoming man. Everyone, most people are recognizing he's likely the next guy to rule the nation. But then that unravels very quickly also. The rug's pulled out from under him as Saul turns on him and David has to flee. And there's, there's several occasions where the circumstances in David's life has affected his view of God and his view of himself in light of who God is. There's one occasion, David's out, and uh, he, is, he, he and his men have rescued a, a city, an Israeli city, from a Philistine attack and after rescuing him, the people that he rescued, they tell Saul's soldiers where to find David and David has to flee again. And so we're told that Jonathan went out to meet with David in a secret gathering. And they met together and were told that, that Jonathan strengthened David's hands in God. He, he strengthened, here's what he did. He simply told David the truth from the promises in God's word. David, you are going to be king. Nothing's gonna stand in the way of that God has promised you that. He just reminded him of the promises of God and David was strengthened. Another occasion, David and his men, they'd been living in the wilderness and the, the area that they were living was not far from, from uh, uh, the home and the fields of a very wealthy man. And David and his men's presence had provided protection for this man and his family. So as they were coming towards the time of a feast, they asked this man if 
he would give them from his livestock so that they could, have, they could celebrate the feast together. And the guy said, I'm not doing that. And David snapped. And he gets his man and he's, he's going after this man. He's going to kill him. And the man's wife hears about it. And she goes out to meet David. And, and they meet along the way. And David is irate. He's ready to kill this guy. And this woman, her name's Abigail. And she looks at David. And she just begins to speak the truth about who God is and who David is in light of who God is. She, just, she says to him, David, God will defend you. You don't need to defend yourself. And she says this. She says, your life is bound up in the bundle of the living. Just what a beautiful phrase. Your life is bound up in the bundle of the living. And your enemies will be cast out like a stone being thrown from a sling. That would be a vivid image in David's mind, wouldn't it? He knew very well what it looked like for a stone to leave a swing, sling. And he says, he says, listen, and David suddenly just stops and he just trusts it into the hands of God. And essentially she said to him, David, you're gonna end up on the throne. God promised it. Nothing can stand in the way of the promises of God. This looks like it could never happen. God's gonna fill his promises and you don't wanna look back to this day as the day that you disobeyed God by taking matters into your own hands. She talks to him about the promises of God, about who God is and who he is in light of who God is. On another occasion, we find David and, and we, we read this, and this is a telling phrase. It's the, it's the opening verse of, of 1 Samuel 27. And it says, and David said in his heart. Do you think that's gonna work out well for David? Listening to his heart? You think, do you think you could find an, an example in the Bible where people listen to their heart and it goes well for them? So do you think it's a good idea to listen to your heart? So when the mantra of our world today is listen to your heart, do you think that's good, good godly advice? That's not, listen, our heart is, is the seat of our emotions. So to listen to your heart is to listen to your emotions. Are your emotions trustworthy? Your emotions make you and everyone around you think you are crazy. Do not, under any circumstances, at any time, ever follow your heart. Never follow your heart, ever, under any circumstances, for no reason, no matter what, you should never, ever follow your heart. Is that clear enough? <laughs> David is listening to his heart, and here's what his heart tells him. There's no hope for you. You're going to die. And so David fled to the Philistines. And David finds himself, listen, all, it, it, reading the text, just letting the text be the text, David volunteers himself and his servants as mercenaries for the Philistine army to fight against Israel. That's a low point in David's life. That's a terrible place in his life. And how did he get there? He lost, it, it started here. Right? It started with, with what Paul's telling us, with the imperative that Paul puts on us. He says, meditate. He says, consider. This word, now, 
Back to our text. We use David to illustrate the importance of the way that we think. And back in our text, this word meditate, remember I, I said it means to account or to consider. And the idea is like, it's like uh, in taking inventory. If you're taking inventory, you have to compare it against something, correct? So, so I have this list. These are the items that we have ordered. And now I'm taking inventory of what is left in order to reorder. I, I spent um, a few years in my early 20s. Uh, I worked at a grocery store. I was, uh, I was an apprentice butcher. And uh, the, the meat department was part of, the, part of the whole store, which was part of a chain of stores. But each meat department was kind of self-governed in the sense that we determined what items we needed and how many we needed. And so we would take inventory. And so we're back. I mean, the worst part was when you had to take inventory in the freezer. And I'm already working in a refrigerator, right? That the temperature where we're cutting meat is just slightly above the inside of your refrigerator. And then it's like, okay, now you gotta go in. So, you know, we got these little cloth gloves, but when cloth gloves get wet, they're worse than not having gloves. So you're taking inventory, so, but you're taking inventory to a list or something you're checking it against. So when he says here, meditate, what he's saying is that there has to be something that we are checking our thinking up against. And the idea is I'm checking my thinking up against what the Bible tells me about God, myself, and how I should view that. He lists these things pure and just and praiseworthy and true. The, the scripture is what determines that. Um, when, when God originally created us, he created us with a conscience. And, a, and, and our conscience serves as a, to some degree, like a rudder to help us navigate. And so our conscience will, will, will tell us when something that we are, are doing is something that we shouldn't do or something that we should do. But here's the problem. Our conscience, just like the rest of nature, has been affected by the fall. So when sin entered the world, the, the, the Bible tells us that, that the entirety of the globe was affected by sin entering the world. And, and so if, if all, of the, the, all of nature has been affected by the fall, certainly this internal rudder or compass that we have has also been affected. So we need something to guide our conscience. We can, we can actually feed the conscience. We can actually instill the proper data into the conscience so that the conscience can help us navigate our way through things. He says, meditate on these things. So the first imperative. Now the idea when with, with language, imperatives mean I need to do something. The idea with ethics is that doing these things will lead to a better life. And so Paul is saying, meditate on these. He says the second thing. The second thing he says in verse nine, the things you learned, received, heard, and saw in me. Let me see, let me 
say that again. The things you learned, received, heard, and saw in me. He's saying, my life served as a pattern for you. And those things that you saw in me, he says, these, what's the next word? Do. Or some of your Bibles might read practice. Okay, the, the word do means to, to put them into motion or, 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 or um, the word do means to do. <laughs> almost, almost, you know, means to put them into motion or do them. So do means to do. It means to actually, but, but the word here, it's an interesting word because it's, it's a word that carries the idea of repeated activity. In fact, it's a word that isn't used to describe the actions of God but it's used over and over again to describe the actions of men. The need for repetition. He's saying the things that you've learned and saw, you, you heard about, you learned from me, you heard from me, you saw in me. He says, these are the things that you make a practice in your own life. What did they learn and see in Paul? Remember how the book opened? Paul says, Paul says, I want you to know that the things that happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. They were worried about Paul. He's in prison. And he goes, oh, don't worry about it. The things that happened to me, all that mess in the, since 10 years ago when I was with you guys, all the things that you heard, all the bad stuff that you heard about me actually furthered the gospel. The, the, there, were, there were churches all up and down Greece because of the things that happened to Paul. And there were churches all through Asia Minor because of the things that happened to Paul. And he says in chapter one, he says, and there even in the very palace in Rome, the, the, the royal family has actually heard the gospel because I'm in a prison cell in Rome or incarcerated in Rome. So what Paul says, I, the things you learned about me, what did they learn about him? They learned that even when we face obstacles in serving the Lord, God can still accomplish his purposes. He says, we need to, we need to practice that. We need to recognize that. Another thing they learned later on, we're not, we won't cover all of it, but another thing, remember when Paul said that I just want to know God. I want to know him in the, in the power of his resurrection, and I want to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. He set that example, that his chief aim was to just know Jesus better. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Now, let's think about that phrase for just a second. What has to happen for someone to know the power of resurrection? Starts with a D and ends with an I. Not like, not like the letter, but the sound. Die, right? That's not a good thing. <laughs> I want to know the power of resurrection. I think, I'm not sure I want to know the power of resurrection. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I ever want to voluntarily walk into a scenario where I need resurrection power in order to face this scenario. I'm not sure I want that. Like, like you know, the, I remember when I was, a, when I was a, that diminutive middle school kid, and, uh, and I, we, I saw some show or whatever, and it was talking about people who, you know, they, they, they get just that burst of adrenaline through their body and, and have strength that is not, it's not inerrant to them. 
It's, you know, like a, like a dad who is, and, ends up picking a car up because the, the, the tires for the wheel is on his son's leg. And you pick it up and then you could have that guy try a thousand times to get that car to come up off of the ground and there's no way he has the physical strength to do it. But in that moment, he somehow had the ability to do it. I remember as a kid watching these things just going, oh my goodness. But listen, I don't ever want that strength. I don't want the strength to be able to lift a car off somebody I love's leg because I don't want a car on somebody I love's leg. <laughs> Does that make sense? So this idea of Paul saying, listen, I want to put myself in situations where I'm giving opportunity for God to do what only God can do. And I've set that pattern for you. But look at the last thing he says. And Pete, you can make your way back up. The last thing he says, verse 9, and the God of peace will what? Be with you. Paul says, I... I set a pattern for you. I lived my life in such a way where I gave opportunity for God to work in my life and God was with me in all of it. And he says, so here's what he's saying. He says, I'm putting pressure on you. You know, tonight's reading is not about what I did. I'm not telling you about what Epaphrodites and Timothy or what Jesus had accomplished. Tonight's reading is about what you need to do. It's putting a pressure on you and that pressure is you need to think right about God and you need to think right about yourself in light of who God is. And then you need to put in practice over and over again, putting yourself in situations where it gives opportunity for God to show himself strong. And listen, God will be with you in it all. And so Lord, we want to respond to your word tonight. First of all, by saying thank you. Thank you, Lord, that your word is able to affect the way that we think. Lord, living in, living in, the, in the circumstances that each of us live in, there are a lot of reasons for us to think incorrectly about our value, about our purpose, about... Um, about what we should do with, our, with ourselves, with our time, with the resources that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, that your word speaks truth into us. Thank you that it tells us about who you are and about how we should live our lives. And so, Lord, we would just pray that you would speak truth into us. Lord, as we worship, you would just speak truth into our lives about who you are and you would be building our faith so that we might be able to put into practice those things that have been patterned for us by the saints that have gone before us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Jim Gallagher. If you enjoy the message, you can learn more about Pastor Jim's ministry by visiting www.ccvb.net.